beer, 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 bong, 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 beer, bong, 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 beer, bong, 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 beer, beers, bongs, and battle axes, beers, bongs, and battle axes, beers, bongs, and battle axes, beers, bongs, and battle axes. Hand me a beer, would you, pal? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Please, bitch. <laughs> I called you pal. What more do you want, you fucking hoe bag? That's more like it. Look, when you talk to her, I want one of those ones. Those were so tasty. Those right. might be down at the bottom. Oh, of right. course, of course. Magave wheat. And, of course, we're having this conversation while it's recording, so I guess I'll just say, welcome to another Beers, Bongs, and Battle Axes. The tenth one, in fact. This is a, a mighty milestone for this podcast. We're in the double digits now, baby. How does that make you feel, Tyler? I'm trying to suppress a burp while I'm talking. It's very <laughs> difficult. I'm doing the same. So, here we are. <coughs> uh, makes me feel good. I feel like Joe Rogan right now. Yeah, except for we don't have the cool guests. I yet. think Any I'm pretty it? cool. Well, yes, we do have a very <laughs> special guest today. Miss Nicole. Hello. And uh, we're going to be talking about probably one of my favorite subjects to blather endlessly about, Stephen King. Tyler doesn't look too happy about that. I'm th- you had to sit through my Godzilla thing, so here I am, man. <laughs> here for you guys. Well, feel free to ask questions and whatnot throughout, because uh, this is going to be a twisty-turny conversation. Yeah. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Nicole, tell us how you first came across our Lord and Master Stephen King. Well, I came across him as a kid. First movie I ever saw was Cujo. And like that just kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. And whenever I was about like 12, 13, I started reading his books. And I just love like how vivid he is. Like, like, like you can read and like actually see it. You know what I mean? I just love that about him. I love how deranged he is and just how he puts a story together. So, yeah. That's fucking sick. Yeah. Tyler, what was your first experience with Stephen King? I know you're not really a reader, so movie-wise. Um, what was the first? I want to say it was either Pet Cemetery 2, which I know isn't even his, but then... Uh, then I found the first one, because the second one was showing on, like, late night movie or something. Yeah, like yeah. Cinemax or some bullshit yeah. like that. Yeah. But then I was like, okay, that's kind of creepy. But then I saw the first one, and I was like, oh, dude, that one was way better. Exactly. Like, so I want to say it was that, or it was Christine. Okay. But I can't remember yeah. right now. Both good movies. Yeah. Christine's a great movie, especially considering... Um, John Carpenter didn't even really want to make that movie, but he kind of had to because, like, studio obligations at the time. Yeah. And it still turned out fucking fantastic. I think that's one of the better adaptations of King's work. Adaptation, and just, like, I watched it, I think, last year, and just the visuals alone, like, when she's coming back together, I still think that's some of the oh, coolest... Carpenter's a fucking Coolest shots ever. They still hold up today, man. For me, uh, my mom's been collecting... Stephen King since he started publishing in the 70s uh-huh. and uh, so yeah I just always grew up with a, a bookshelf full of Stephen King books around and one day decided to pick up it I think 
I was 10, and I think I'd just seen this Tim Curry miniseries for the first time. I was like, that was fucking <laughs> awesome. And my mom was like, eh, the book's better. I was like, there's a book? <laughs> Give me that shit. And so she hands <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> me this 1,200-page hardback version of it. And the cover of it is just... Uh, the boat going down, getting ready to go down the storm drain, and this, like, three-taloned lizard, like, like claw hand stick, sticking yeah, out. And I was cool. just like, sold, give me that. <laughs> and I remember, because I used to bring that book everywhere with me. I took it to school, and Mr. Prosser, my fifth grade teacher, he was like, what are you reading? Showed it to him. It's like, Stephen King's it. Takes a look at it. He's like, I, uh, I don't know how I feel about your parents letting you read this kind of stuff, but the fact that you can is impressive, so I'm not going to take that. <laughs> I was like, all right, thanks. <laughs> because, yeah, that's totally an inappropriate book for a fifth grader to be bringing to school. Sure. For the shit sure. you were talking about in our It Too podcast was just the shit that went down in the book. Oh, like, like Patrick Hawksetter Hawk and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, they got kind of gay together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I was telling Tyler about that. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but just like the way... He's like, like the way they baby brother too. the way they start that chapter though yeah. is perfect because they were like uh, if Patrick Hoxetter had been born ten years later he would have been diagnosed with a really low IQ and would have been called uh, what people nowadays call a sociopath and mm -hmm. I like just Stephen King's so good at writing an opening line where you're just like I want to hear more right uh, and yeah uh, such a good book written by a sentient bag of cocaine. It's funny, he, he's actually said in multiple interviews that at the height of his cocaine abuse, he wrote Cujo. He doesn't remember writing that book. Hmm. And he wishes he does, because he's like, I, I think it's a great fucking book. I just don't, have no memory of writing it whatsoever. That's just crazy to me. Well, I mean... It's crazy. Just, the, you gotta think of, the, like, the kind of success that Stephen King has attained, like, monetarily, is... Practically unheard of for novelists. Right, right. And so to be able to afford that much cocaine, like getting a movie <laughs> star salary for writing. Well, and right, how big was the fucking book? Cujo, that's one of his actually smaller ones. Yeah, I want to say like it's like medium, 600 pages. It was like medium size. 600? Yeah. Still though, and he doesn't remember a goddamn thing. Right. That's impressive. Madness. <laughs> he, he is one with the cocaine. He is, <laughs> he like is I said, he's cocaine. a sentient yeah. bag of cocaine. <laughs> he has, he is now... Achieved fucking, <laughs> what's the word? <laughs> Cocaine, Cocaine nirvana. Lightning. Yeah, nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that book hooked me. I, I will admit, I didn't understand good portions of it because it covered adult themes that like I had no experience with, so I couldn't really understand some of it. But I loved it. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that that childhood group sex scene turned me into a pervert at all. I don't think that was it. I mean, I, I, I've read about it, but I don't... It's... Even he says, it's like, if it hadn't been the 80s, like, if I were to try and write that book today, that scene would be cut instantly. Yeah. But it was the 80s, I was on a lot of cocaine, and nobody was telling me no at this point. <laughs> Are we talking about, like, the part where, like, before they go in and, like, Beth has sex with everybody? Yeah, when okay. they're lost in the yeah, sewers yeah. and they're trying to get out. Yeah, and just, like, we're not gonna die virgins. Like, <laughs> well, it's not even virgins. that. It's, uh, the... See, that's the thing, is, like, people just break, break it down to the basic concept, and the basic concept alone is what sounds super crude and disgusting. Yeah. But then when you actually read it, and they're talking about how 
like all of these kids have latent psychic, I guess would be the best way to abilities. Each has their own special ability. Like Eddie's a human compass. He know, mm-hmm. like he can find his way anywhere without like needing a map or anything like that. Yeah. And the problem is after they beat it and it disappears, like their the mad their powers are weakening, and so Bev decides that they need to seal their bond and also it's essentially a metaphor for entering adulthood by having sex yeah yeah and you're like you can even knowing the deeper context you're like that's still a little weird but i understand where you're going with it and i know it's not coming from a place of i'm gonna be a weird pervert right because in his mind and in the kids mind they're just it's an adult. Yeah, they're trying to be adults. Yeah, it's the last transition into adulthood. Gratuitous, probably, but eh, I get it. I mean, honestly, that's on the low side of the weird and creepy shit that Stephen King puts into his books. Mm-hmm. That's that's why I'm that's here on for the this roller coaster of awesomeness. Like a uh, perfect example is from a book that, thanks to Nicole, I just finished for the first time. Under the Dome. Like, the character of Rennie Jr. Yes. Is one of the creepiest oh fucking characters ever. He's the son of the town's, like, second selectman, which is, like, the local board of government in New England. Uh-huh. Term I'd never heard of before reading the Stephen King books. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... You find out over the course of the book that he has a brain tumor that's slowly killing him, mm-hmm. but it causes him to lash out with headaches and shit like that. And like one of the first chapters of the book, kills this fucking lady, like just beats her to death just because she smarted off to him, and then keeps her in her pantry, just keeps the body in there. He starts throughout the course of the book, more and more bodies show up in there of people that he's killed. And he'll go in there and cuddle these dead bodies and do sexual things with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he, he straight he up turns to necrophilia. They're girlfriends. His yeah, he's girlfriends. like, they're my girlfriends. Yeah. I take it that wasn't in the show. Uh, from I what I've heard, the Under show. the Dome, the show yeah, is like the worst adaptation of yeah. uh, Stephen King ever. Like, they take so the I characters heard. from yeah. the book, and then they basic concept, this weird dome comes down over the entire town. And then... After that, they're just like, we're going to go do our own thing. Yeah. And it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. There All was I know so much is... potential. But they Especially with uh, yeah. Dean Norris yeah. playing Big Jim Rennie. I was going to say, that was Hank, right? Yeah. Breaking Bad? Yeah. That's the only reason so I know about talented. that show. That guy's amazing. And I just saw a movie recently. Fuck. Because everybody calls him Fat Bruce Willis. But I just saw him. <laughs> I, can I saw him in a movie with Bruce Willis, and it was legit like... It's like, how do those guys walk on a set every day and be like, you're like me, but from another universe? <laughs> <laughs> like an alternate timeline yeah. where I didn't stay skinny. <laughs> it was just funny. Anyway. So, out of, how many books by Stephen King would you say you've read, Nicole? I would say... I'm trying to think. Probably at least 11 that I have like physically read. And with audiobooks? With audiobooks, onto that list, maybe 16? That's a pretty good chunk. Yeah. Especially considering he's written over 70 novels. Exactly. So, like, that's not including, like, short stories or anything Right, like or that, any either. of the collections exactly, or stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting roughly to about halfway through his 
bibliography. Yeah. Like, I'm getting there slowly but surely. My problem is I like to reread a lot of these books a lot because I'm just like, these stories are so good. I want to yeah. go back to that world. Well, it's like, and then you like, I feel like when you reread something, you you get more and more and more, like, information. Or, like, you, like something you pick that up you things missed. that you Yeah, missed. exactly. So, I like that. What would you say your favorite adaptation of Stephen King is? Out of all the ones you've seen? <clears throat> Honestly, Doctor Sleep. <laughs> I, that was, was really, I really, really it fucking enjoyed that movie. I really did. I would, I would definitely agree with you on that, but I would have to add the caveat that until that movie came out, hands down, it was the mist for me. That movie is fucking awesome. I forgot that was. I honestly forgot that was Stephen and King. that movie yeah. out Stephen King. Stephen King with the <laughs> ending for the film, right? That was one of the most brutal endings to a horror film I've ever seen. And I was just like, well, fuck, I guess I'm going to go home and open up my wrists now. What's the point of living anymore? Just saw a man kill three strangers and his own son just for the army to show up. That was like the ultimate Twilight Zone irony ending. Yeah. Kind of like, it it was on, on par with the one where he's... The last man on earth, and he's got all the time in the world to read, and then he breaks his glasses. Right. No, that was that was one of the first gut wrenching endings. I think I've like literally like my stomach dropped when I saw that. It's like, what the, what yeah, the, I, I honestly what? think that was my first experience with a, a movie showing me that like you can have a movie without a happy ending and it still be a really good movie. Exactly. Yeah. No, and, you're right. Yeah, and this was a good fucking movie. Damn. What would you say your favorite adaptation is? Dreamcatcher. That is really I good. I fucking love that movie so much, and I think it was really well made. I agree. I just hate the ending of the movie I do compared too. to the book. Okay, but like, just like the the alien monster, like this like silver one. You the know? shit weasel. Oh yes, I love that scene so much. Where he's just sitting on the toilet. Oh, he's poor like, Jason Lee. Like, you know, and the thing just comes out. That that book was <laughs> the first time. A book ever made me cringe yes. with like, and squirm, yes. and it's because of the toilet scene. Exactly, it was really well like described, and nasty and vivid. I got, I, I don't want to be that guy, but I didn't like that movie. You did it? I thought it was dumb as shit. Really? <laughs> See, I was I the like book really like that, uh, just like what? off the wall, batshit insane with aliens and stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it was uh, it was written while he was healing from his car accident that almost killed him. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Speaking of, damn. Uh, Misery. That would be another one. Yeah. God, yeah, that's a good uh, one. That Kathy one actually Bates. got uh, nominated for Oscars and mm-hmm. shit, which is fucking dope. She's terrifying. Like, when she's in a role like that, she is fucking terrifying. I think I wish she'd play more villains. I know that's one of the things that keeps me coming back to American Horror Story, even though I fucking hate that show, is when they know. cast Kathy Bates in a villain role. I thought the first two seasons were good. Uh, I was with it up until four. Okay, what was that freak show? Yeah, that's yeah. the one where they lost me because I was all about Twisty the Clown. I was like, this is going to be fucking awesome. Three episodes in, he's dead. I was like, yeah. You guys fucking suck. <laughs> I don't know, like, Roanoke was shit. I don't know if you guys I actually that really I liked that I, one. No, I did not like it. I hated Hotel. Okay, but Lady Gaga's hot as shit, though. She is, but it was still poopy garbage butthole of a season. The best part of that season was Evan Peters Mm -hmm. uh, doing his transatlantic, like, I'm H.H. Holmes, I've built (laughs) this whole hotel as a torture room. (laughs) Oh, is that where they gave him, like, the pencil thin mustache? Yeah, Yeah. he played Uh, it really well. He did. Okay, no, I'll give him credit. Yeah. 
But that's we're getting yeah, real yeah. off topic here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I, I need to roll it back. I just had to throw in misery just so everyone's clear that it's yeah. fucking movie's fantastic. Fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was really there, uh, it's really unfortunate that for like every good Stephen King adaptation, there's like four shitty ones. Yeah. <sighs> like the Carrie remake. Yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> for those of you listening at home, that's the sound of me vomiting. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't hate that movie, mm-hmm. but I don't like it when people remake shit and just do the same formula. Yeah. Like, like we were. I think we were talking about the last podcast. There's so much shit, and there's pages upon pages. Like, you can't just tweak one little thing in your new version to make yeah. it better. Well, and different. my biggest problem was, like, it lacked any of the charm that the original one had. Yeah. Because, like, they seemed like real people, but... The Carrie remake almost reminds me of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, where just all these kids are just plain miserable throughout the entire movie. Yeah. And she's just like, you all suck. You're all <laughs> depressing. You like any of the charm of the original ones. Yeah. Because <laughs> at least, you know, the girls were bitches in the original one, but you also got to see, like, Susan being normal, like, with Tommy and stuff. So you're like, okay, Susan I can relate to. She's uh, a good person who got caught up in the teasing of Carrie is trying to make it right. Yeah. Whereas all those teen girls, even Susan in the new one, you're just like, I hope you bitches choke. I don't care on what, just fucking choke and die already. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, with a movie like Carrie, like, or, like, King Kong, like, no matter how big you make it, how big of a spectacle you make it, you know what's coming. Yeah. Right. Like, exactly. You, you know, know the you story. S- yeah. You know the story. It takes all yeah. the shock out of exactly. it. Exactly. And that's... Yeah. And I've noticed there's a lot of people that like Stephen King but have never read the books, too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if they were to tweak it a little bit and add something that was from the book into a movie, I think they'd be like, whoa. And right. I think part of that reason is, too, because uh, especially for the good adaptations, is the what makes a Stephen King adaptation really good in my point, point of view is when they have that ability to capture how well-developed these characters in the books are because mm-hmm. they feel like real people and that's one of Stephen King's strong points is characters. He makes really good characters that feel like real people yeah. that you would meet in real life. Yeah. yeah. And you get caught up in all their triumphs and their failures oh, yeah. and it's gut-wrenching. And it's like when he creates a villain you fucking hate them oh, so much. Oh god, yes. Oh my gosh. Big Jim Rennie. Yes. Leland oh, Gaunt. Junior when he's like, Barbie. Barbie. God. <laughs> yeah. Joffrey Baratheon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a perfect example. You know, it's or even Cersei, how Lena Headey keeps saying that people go to cons and be like, I fucking hate you, when they mean they hate Cersei. Right, 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 right. That's just a sign of a really well-developed character. Um, yeah, I guess, should we get into the little game I wanted to play today? Yes. All right. Oh, it's a Stephen King jigsaw podcast? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to play it too. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. You just hear maglocks. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to die in here now. Dad? <laughs> okay, so the game I want to play today is we... It took us a while to come up with these two. Yes. Like, had to find books by Stephen King that have not been adapted for a TV miniseries, a TV show, or a film before. Okay. We're going to give you brief synopsis. You can... Ask questions about the book if you like. Uh And uh, we'll see if you would like to see it adapted for the big screen. 
and whether you think it would work better as a film or like a series. Okay. All right. I, I guess will let I'll the lady go off. first. Let's do it. So I am bringing one to the table called Duma Key. Doom a key? Duma key. It's Duma like a key. place in Florida. Like oh. D-U-M-A. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah. So it's about this guy named Edward Fremantle. And this one was kind of strange because like all of Stephen King's books were based in Maine, but this one was not. So this one started in Minnesota, and it's about this guy who's really well off, and he's a construction um, like supervisor. And he gets into a pretty bad accident where a crane falls onto his truck. Yeah. He gets like head injuries, and he loses his arm. So, like, while he's, like, trying to, um, like, recover from this, he's having suicidal thoughts, like, very, like, abusive mood swings that leads to his divorce. So, he's, like, going through therapy and everything, and his therapist recommends that he moves to Jim McKee. And, like, he used to, like, paint and draw a lot, and, like, that really helped with his, like, anxiety and depression. So, like, he moved to this place, very secluded place, um, in this big pink house, and he refers to it as Big Pink. And um, a bunch of weird stuff starts happening on Dumakee. Like, he feels like the shells underneath his house are whispering his name, and a bunch of, like, very weird things are happening. And he thinks, like, oh, my God, this is my head injury. I'm crazy. You know? So um, one night he has, like, this, like, out-of-body experience, and he goes and paints with his nub. Like, he's still, he imagines that his hand is there, and he paints these, like, really violent pictures. Mm-hmm. And these pictures are, like, coming to life and like things that he's painting are actually happening and then he starts painting people that he knows and they're dying so he practically becomes like very cynical and ends up becoming a killer practically he'll paint these pictures and then people will die so he becomes aware that yeah oh. he, he becomes aware because like his daughter like got engaged to this guy he didn't like and he painted a picture of him and he ended up getting really hurt Oh. So, and then that's when he realized, like, oh, I can I can use this to my advantage, you know? And he starts selling these paintings, too. Oh. Yeah, so it's just, like, this whole long story of, like, fuckery and, like, him being, like, a cynical asshole. And turning into a monster, Yeah, practically. I kind of, I dig that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've always been a sucker for, like, sympathetic villains. Yeah, but you then, know, and he thinks, he thinks he's crazy, you know, yeah. because like, he's, he's, like, recovering from a massive head trauma. Yeah. You know, and, like, he wants to be good, but then, like, he realizes, like, he can do good with this. Like, he can, like, kill people that are right. bad and stuff like that, you know what I mean? I'm right. to kill Putin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, right. he practically becomes, like, an assassin, almost. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that could work. Yeah. I really do think do that would Do you think it would work better as, like, a TV show or, like, a movie? I guess I could see it going either way. Yeah, I could too. Um, I guess there's just only so many. I feel like if it was a TV show, it would just get stale. It would just drag like, on. Yeah. It would drag on. <laughs> like, yeah. The mailman looked at me wrong today. <clears throat> How long is that true. book? <clears throat> Honestly, it's pretty short. Like. I was going to say, if it was, like, one of his thousand-plus pages, then yeah, that would probably I mean, work best as, like, a ten-part single-season run. that was run. a very brief... You know, synopsis. Right. Just, it was kind of straight to the point, but there's, like, other characters involved, and, yeah. like, he makes friends with this, like, this lady next door that has dementia, and she's, like, she realizes what he's doing, and everyone thinks she's crazy, and she's trying to be like, this guy's killing people! And he's huh. like, oh, she has dementia, guys. Like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, grandma. Like, she can see right through him, but nobody believes her. I definitely think uh, that would probably work best as, like, a 10-episode single-season run. 
Yeah, like a miniseries? Yeah. yeah. Is that what you said before? I wasn't paying attention. Well, she yeah. said TV series or yeah. a film. Miniseries is a good word for a lot of Stephen King's works. Yeah. Like it doesn't need multiple seasons, but right. it needs more. Kind of like, like how they did parts. eleven twenty two sixty three. Like that yeah, was, exactly. That just was, honestly, I'm a huge. It was about so JFK. where James Franco goes yeah. back in time to try and stop the fr- the I Kennedy never assassination. Saw that. It was the book. Oh my god, I I can't even like begin to describe it. That's one of his bigger. That books, That was too. one of my favorite books. I was on such a big JFK hype after that. I was like, <laughs> yeah, fucking JFK. <laughs> you know, and it's like about that time the FBI. The FBI, goddamn, released like the JFK files. Mm. So I was like, nuts. Skeet, skeet, skeet. Who's that from Archer? Is it Pam? Or is it Sploosh? Yes. Gross. No, I like that's an interesting premise, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought I that'd be a good that. one to talk about. All right. Well, my first one that I wanted to pitch to you is. Uh, You'll have a little bit of knowledge about this one because you've at least seen Desperation. Many moons ago. Like, but you remember but you the basic remember it, premise. Right? Bunch of people caught in a town that's been... Because that was Ron Perlman, right? Yeah. I always yeah, get yeah, that yeah, in the stand confused. Over. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. But yeah. But yeah, uh, that okay, one's right. about a bunch of people trapped in a little town where this demon keeps possessing different people and going on a homicidal spree. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that is tech. Yeah. So this one is called The Regulators, written by Richard Bachman, mm-hmm. which was, in the 80s, Stephen King's pen name. He was feeling, in the 80s, he was feeling super insecure. Like, uh, people are, am I a good writer? Are people just buying it because I've had success before and it's got my name on it? So he started writing books under the name Richard Bachman. And so with Desperation, the book came out. He released a companion novel at the same time called The Regulators. Mm-hmm. And that was under the Bachman pen name. And what's really cool about it is it takes <clears throat> the main cast of characters from Desperation and it changes them around. Like, some of the kids that were that were in Desperation are now the adults in The Regulators and vice versa. Some of the adults are now the kids. They all have different jobs, like different careers, different life paths, but same characters mm-hmm. in look and name. And what this is about is a, just a single street in suburban Ohio. And one of the kids there is autistic. And throughout the course of the story, you find out that this autistic kid has been possessed by Tack. And Tack is using this kid's imagination to bring these like Saturday morning, early 90s style cartoon characters to life. I can't remember what they're called, but they drive what are called power wagons. They're basically like Power Rangers. Yeah. And so Tack is using this kid's imagination and love for these guys to bring them to life. And they're literally just turning this town, this single street in suburban Ohio, into a Old West shooting gallery. Doing drive-bys on the houses and slowly picking off... Uh, the different characters and so the whole point of the story is they're trying to band together figure out what the fuck is going on and how they can stop it mm-hmm. and I, ooh, I just I feel like this one would always be really good because uh, the way it's described in the book is they're literally the world is slowly being turned into this poorly drawn cartoon looks like a cartoon that a four year old drew or something like that, because it's coming from the imagination of the autistic kid. Right. So when these uh, superheroes, 
that are actually bad guys in this case are like shooting up the town. They describe the bullets from the shotgun as being like that fucking big, like around <laughs> and like that long. Right. So it's basically like having cartoon cannonballs fired at them the whole time. Right. And it's really dark. It's really cynical and just. Uh, unlike Desperation, which is a super slow burn, this is just balls-to-the-wall action from the jump. Yeah. And it's just really great. a book with a great showdown at the end. Hmm. I think that'd make a good movie. I, um, yeah. I agree, that'd yeah. Be, I mean, if they made it like a follow-up to Desperation, that'd be cool. That would be super fun. And it ties into the Dark Tower in the fact that it was one of his earlier works to establish, like, the the multiverse theory essentially is like yeah we got these same characters but in this universe they all met each other in Nevada because of Tack and in this one Tack invaded their little town by possessing an autistic kid right would I you sh- watch it I would as long as you don't go like the autistic route like what the predator did uh, like basically making <laughs> yeah. the autistic kid a superhero like. But I mean, it's oh, just no, no. an imagination that plays a part. It's just, I'm still salty about the Predator. Oh, all. no. Like I this, the newest one? Yeah. yeah. Fuck, let me direct the new one, please. Who's ever listening? Let me do it. I can do you right. I'll help oh, him. I'll God. Help him. That, that and a Godzilla movie. That's all I want to do in life is just direct one of those. <laughs> It'll be all right. Those are goals to have, my friend. Yeah, well. All right. Anyway. So we're on a pretty good roll so yeah. far. Um, he seems to like both of these. I did have a question, though. Yes. In regards to his pseudonym. Or pen name, or whatever. Richard Bachman. Were people who read both Desperation and that book like, wait a minute. This is <laughs> a lot like. <laughs> like uh, no, because I'm really curious. I believe those, like, I think Regulators, if I remember correctly, was the last Bachman book to come out because shortly before those were released, like, a reporter had dug dug into it and started putting the pieces together right. that Stephen King was Richard Bachman. Oh. So to get ahead of it, Stephen King just came out and announced it. But at oh. first, were they like, who the hell is this? This is a lot like Stephen King. Right? Does well, Stephen he King went know? through the same publisher, so... Oh. And since this was the 80s, there wasn't the internet, like, they were right. able to keep it under wraps real Yeah, so hard. people really didn't know. Yeah, exactly. Nobody really knew. And that was the way Stephen King wanted it. That's awesome. Because he was like, I need to know, just for myself and the cocaine, whether or not I'm talented <laughs> or... <laughs> it's mostly the cocaine. It speaks just to me when cocaine. I sleep. <laughs> they don't like us. <laughs> You're not talented. You need me. <laughs> shit, that's a Stephen King book in itself. Yeah, that would be meta as shit. Yeah, <laughs> just King dealing with this cocaine addiction. <laughs> so, what is the second book you have? The to second today? book I brought was Rose Matter, and this one honestly like shook me to my core because like Ooh. I related a lot to the main character. Okay. So the main character in this, her name is Rosie Daniels. And she is being severely abused by her cop husband. You know, like, he's typical, um, what do you call that? Like, when somebody has, like, too much power, when it, like, gets to their head and stuff. Power trip? Yeah, he's just, just yeah. he's, he thinks he's the shit. Right. You know what I mean? So he, His um, ego's large. 
yeah, this book right here was honestly very violent and kind of hard to read. Like, the very first chapter was about Rosie, like, literally getting beat so bad, and she was pregnant, and he threw her down the stairs, and she had, like, a brutal miscarriage. Mm. And, like, that's when she realized, like, I need to get out of this relationship. Mm -hmm. And um, being from Maine, very small town, like, she had a hard time, like, getting away from him. And um, she got on a bus, like, to the end of the line and, like, went away. So the whole time her crazy her crazy husband is, like, trying to go after her. And there's this scene that really sticks out in my mind where, like, somebody that sold Rosie the bus ticket he found them at the park and was like, where did she go? And, like, he wouldn't tell. So the, her husband's name is Norman. Norman reached over and grabbed this guy's balls and just squeezed them until they burst. Mm. Like, and this, like, that scene right there, hmm. that was, like, so vivid just reading that. <laughs> Can I stop you right yes. there for a second? Because when she says that, I started saying this earlier, but we got sidetracked. That was, that right there is the reason why... Dreamcatchers was the first book exactly. to ever really make me sque squeamish like exactly. that. Because the toilet scene, since you've seen the movie, when he wrote that scene, like, that you're talking about how the beeve, like, just barely, barely lifts himself off the uh -huh. seat to try and get a toothpick off the ground. Yeah. And then the shit weasel just pistons up. Yes. And he describes in gory detail the toilet lid hitting the beeve in the nuts and yeah. literally shattering both of his testicles. Exactly. Just the way he describes things like that. Yeah. Oh, oh That God. scene, like, I don't even call it a scene, like, that part in the book when I was reading it, like, I had to reread that, like, three times because I'm, I like gross things, you know, and I was like, oh, every time. Dios mio. <laughs> it's yeah. one of those, like, I should read that again. Again, just to make sure I'm not yeah, crazy. Just, just to make sure I read that right. <laughs> but yeah, so Rosie goes to this small town and goes to a battered woman's shelter and like gets back on her feet and she goes into this pawn shop and sees this picture and she's like, I have to have it, which kind of reminded me of Needful Things since I'm reading or reading that right now. You know, it's like one of those things where like she just saw it and was like, I have to have this. And it's like it was a picture of this like really beautiful like labyrinth. Um, like hedge maze and like this really pretty castle kind of reminded me of like the shining almost you know what I mean and um, so she takes this thing home and she starts realizing things in the picture are starting to change and um, she's like having like all these weird dreams and like psychic ex like abilities like happening that she's never had before and she ends up going inside of the painting and like she goes through like the whole time, like, her husband is, like, trying to find her and everything, and um, he's in the same town as her, and she doesn't know it. I'm trying to explain. It's really hard to explain this, but anyway, she ends up in the painting, and he goes in the painting with her somehow. I, it's really strange, it, but anyway, so she's, like, going through the labyrinth and, like, trying to, like, get away from her husband and everything, and finally they, like, reach the castle, and, like, they ended up, she ended up killing him in there, and then, like, the book ended. It was really fucking strange. But I wish I could explain this a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's one of those things, like, you have to read it or, you like, you don't really understand. But I thought this movie or this book would make a good movie just because, like, it went into, like, crazy detail on, like, um... Like, how she's, like, trying to fight this guy, practically. Yeah. It was, like, it's honestly a really good book. I like that, and I like it for the idea yeah. of a movie, too, because just from that description, it seems like side characters mm -hmm. aren't as integral to it, so yeah. it could be streamlined no, to tell it just totally that was. story. No, it totally was. And it was, you have the book. It's not, it's not Yeah, the it's one of the smaller it's ones, kind like 400 of, pages. And it's, like, it was kind of hard to follow 
because it was like going back and forth of Rosie and Norman and like how they're how he's trying to like get her and kill her practically and how she's just trying to she's a battered woman trying to like she's just trying to escape and live exactly you know and like it was it was really intense so well that's yeah I would definitely dig that now I do have a question is uh, does an eclipse play any part of a subplot into that book like, like a solar eclipse? Yes. So that book actually ties in to both Gerald's game and Dolores Claiborne because mm-hmm. they all take t- at the same time as. Yeah, and it's like, it's so strange. Like, she got this painting, right? And then, like, some, like, weird meteor shower happened and she, like, she got, like, psychic abilities and, like, stuff like that and, like, started realizing, like, this, this picture was, like, actually, like, moving and, like, things were happening and the people were, like, communicating to her and, like, beckoning to her, like, come, come here. You know, like, Oof. yeah, it was, it was really chilling. That sounds chilling. awesome. I'm going to have to read that, because I've read Dolores Claiborne and Gerald's Game, so yeah. I need to read the third book in that. Exactly. Uh, and it's, like, the whole Eclipse time trilogy. she's, like, running away from, like, this, he's practically, like, she describes him as, like, a demon. She's, like, running away from him, and, like, she can feel him and see him, like, in her mind and stuff. Like, That's he's, fucking he's coming awesome. for her. So, like, when she went into the painting, like, since, like, she can, like, see him, he came in, too. That's cool. Yeah. And that's how she defeated him. And it was really kind of strange, but, like, I don't know. It just kind of shook me in my core. I love that book. No, I think the world always could use movies like that. Yeah. Like, with And it's that. just, like, he was, like, beating the shit out of her and everybody in his path. And, like, it's, like, it's one of those stories where, like, you want the good person to win. Right. right. It's you know one of those empowering yeah. kind yeah, of And I feel exactly. like yeah. that would make a good movie these days because, you know, we're all about inclusion and strong female characters mm-hmm. sure. in yeah. Hollywood nowadays. And going back to Stephen King being able to write well thought out yeah. and like re- well rounded characters yeah. like that's a movie that could come out where if you adapt it properly people are going to be like they just made a strong female character to <laughs> you know the pacify the SJWs be like no this yeah. is a story about a well rounded believable woman mm-hmm. that you know could be a good example of like little girls who want to be in movies can look up to right Right. and And as much as I hate to admit it I mean abusive relationships are a thing they are and And way more common especially resonated with with that more than we do exactly oh yeah so no it's it's always a good especially when it's like that you it want doesn't feel kill yeah, you're like, just exactly. kill him. well it's just <laughs> like like i said that opening scene of just like her getting her ass beat and like thrown down the stairs and like the way he described the blood and everything like mm. like running down her and just like that was just like okay i hope this guy dies reading king can be emotionally taxing Dude, i have <laughs> almost every single book i've either listened to or read like i've always cried yeah like, there's there'll always, be a point where i cry and yeah one time or another. Yeah, exactly. It's just like you get so attached, you know. I read the Dark Tower series, and by that end of that seventh one, I'm just like, no! <laughs> Why, God? It's bad, because yeah. instead of, you know, just one long book of getting attached to these characters, seven of them, and, mm. you know. Then they die. Yeah, then a lot <laughs> of them die, die, and you're just like. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Bad. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could have explained this one a little bit better, but like I said, it's kind of off the wall. But see, that one that one sounds awesome because it sounds like the type of story where the kind of purpose of movies is to tell stories visually, and yeah. that one seems like it would be very visual heavy, probably really light on the dialogue. Yeah. yeah. I like those kind of movies. Yeah. So I would definitely be down to see somebody adapt that. Fair enough. I think it would be a good one. And uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up this little game with 
my last two. I, ha- I have to present two to you because uh, it's a series. And the main one that I want to see adapted is the sequel, so you kind of need the first one. Fair enough. So these are... And these are actually two books co Stephen King co-wrote with Peter Straub, who's another really famous horror author. They're called The Talisman and The Black House. Okay. So The Talisman is the story of young 11-year-old Jack Sawyer. His mother is an aging Hollywood actress who's essentially on the run from her late husband's former business partner who is trying to get her to sign her half of the business away to him. Mm -hmm. And so they've run from Hollywood, California all the way to this little rinky-dink hotel on the East Coast and uh, she's dying from cancer even though she won't admit it and uh, Jack wants to save his mother's life. He finds out through the help of uh, a magic man that he has the ability to flip, which is to go to a world that's kind of like pre-colonial America. It's called the Territories. And he finds out from this magic man that the only thing that can save his mother's life is this thing known as the Talisman, which is located all the way on the western coast of the Territories, a.k.a back in California where Jack's from. So he goes on this adventure road trip, little 11-year-old boy, I'm going to cross the territories and save my mom and potentially the entire world. And uh, a big thing about the territories is not only does it look like pre-colonial America, but everybody in the world has what's called a twinner. So if you were to flip, there would be an equivalent of you in that universe. And the equivalent of his mother in that universe is the queen of all the territories who is also dying. Hmm. And that's kind of how it works is like your health would affect your twinner in that world. So when you die, more than likely they're not long to follow you and vice versa. And you find out through the course of the story that Jack is special. He's single natured uh, because her, her, his dad's business partner his twinner killed the queen's son in his infancy, but Jack was just barely saved, so he became single-natured. So if he flips into the territories, it's, he's just t- still himself. Whereas, like, say, you were to flip to the territories, you wouldn't actually be yourself anymore. You'd be your twinner. It's really weird. Like, yeah, you'd be in somebody else's fuck? body. <laughs> How do you flip anyway? Does he just... Uh, he starts doing it. Uh, the magic man gives him a potion to drink that oh. he says is really just to give him the confidence to do it because he just has this latent ability. Huh. And uh, along the way, he meets a man named Wolf, who is in fact a werewolf, and one of the best written characters ever because they're in the territories. They're just like these big hulking, like ha 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 ha. We're wolf. We we're shepherds and stuff like that. And then uh, occasionally we turn into werewolves when the full moon strikes. <laughs> Uh, but it's a really heartbreaking story because along the way he bounces back and forth between America and the territories. He tries to spend as much time as possible in the territories because they're smaller. So if he were to go like two miles in the territories and flip back over to America, he's just traveled 20 miles. And so it's to help him get over there before time runs out. But along the way he gets uh, hard up for money, so he starts working at a bar for... A very abusive owner who just 
beats the ever-living shit out of him, doesn't pay him enough to actually get back on his quest. Mm -hmm. Basically holding the kid prisoner, just making him lug around kegs and shit like that while also beating the crap out of him and taking his tips. Damn. And at another point, he finds himself in the Sunlight Gardener Home for Wayward Boys, a... uh, an orphanage that uses them as prison labor by a crazy religious character, which is a staple of Stephen King, the crazy religious character. Mm-hmm. Go figure. And uh, along the way, you also find out that her his father's business partner murdered his dad and uh, is essentially... His, you find out that his dad and his dad's partner also knew about the territories. They also had the ability to flip over. Mm-hmm. And the business partner... Morgan Sloat, he's trying to bring modern technology and modern weaponry to the territories because he wants to colonize it through force. He wants to rule that entire world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that's the story. Is this young boy on a quest to retrieve the talisman and save the world. Well, I'm confused, <laughs> but intrigued. <laughs> Just think of it as like, Huckleberry Finn meets Mad Max. Oh, shit. Well, why didn't you just open yeah. up with that? Yeah, I mean, I would, I'm watch, in. I would watch that. Because <laughs> uh, I never thought of it in that terms until just now. <laughs> That's fair. Um, that'd definitely be interesting. That's, yeah. It's one of the less cut and dry Stephen King books I've... Well, adaptations, anyway. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah it's and, it's an interesting concept. And I, Black House is my favorite. One of my favorite King books of all time. This one follows a now 30-year-old Jack Sawyer. He's recently moved to a little farm town in Wisconsin after being the youngest person in the LAPD to be promoted to lieutenant. Mm -hmm. And uh, ever since Jack handled the talisman, when he was a boy, he's just... He's always had superior abilities... Just like he's one of the best cops ever seen because he's an amazing detective. And it's all like residue from touching the talisman. It's just like made him the luckiest man around. Like the if he were to go gambling, he'd always win. Like he'd never lose. Mm-hmm. Just weird <clears throat> things like that. And uh, he moves to Wisconsin. And after a few years of living there, he's pulled out of retirement when a series of murders starts happening. Mm-hmm. And... These murders mirror that of the notorious New York serial killer from the early 1900s, Albert Fish. Mm, my fave. And as we go along, we start falling, finding out that the Crimson King is at work in this town of Norway Valley in Wisconsin. And uh, you find out that this, there's a demon possessing somebody who's committing the murders. And this demon was the same one that possessed... Albert Fish, and pretty much every other serial killer in history. And uh, Jack's the only one who can stop it because of uh, his time in the territories and his quest to save the talisman. He just has this weird ability to be the only one who can stop it. Hmm. And uh, it's a lot darker than the talisman was. And uh, it's heavily, heavily connected to the Dark Tower series because you find out that this uh, demon is looking for psychic boys and girls that can be brought into end world to be breakers which is is that does it tie into the institute do you think 
they never explicitly say it in the institute, yeah. but I, I had a, a theory yeah. about that like when that I was reading was like, it. Light bulb. Um, but yeah, the breakers are—they're being used by the Crimson King to tear down the beams that hold up the Dark Tower, because when the Dark Tower falls, every universe imaginable will be pitched into chaos, and uh, all the demons from and monsters from the Discordia and the Deadlights and the Macroverse—they'll just be free to play. Hmm. That's basically Stephen King's version of the apocalypse. The Dark Tower falls and then just every universe is swarmed with Lovecraftian monsters. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm in. Well, that sounds badass. Yeah. I'm surprised none of these have been tapped yet because they're all really good books and in the right hands they could turn into fantastic movies and series. You know what Stephen King book I'm surprised isn't a movie? Cell. Hmm. I'm surprised Cell did. It is. Is it really? It's a really shitty direct-to-DVD movie what? with John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that. Well, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the... The cover for it is bad. I yeah. have never seen it. It's bad. Isn't that oh. recent? Like 2017 or something? Mm, like 2016, maybe 2015. Holy shit. Dang. <laughs> hey. I've... No, I'm sorry. I've yeah. never seen it. I, I didn't know that was a Stephen <laughs> King A, and B, I didn't know it was straight-to-DVD. Yeah. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it never got a theatrical release, and you can tell just by watching it. Huh. Dang. Weren't they both in, uh... 1408. 1408. Which, too, that yeah. one's a really good adaptation. Mm-hmm. I've always felt that Stephen King's short stories are the best adaptations, yeah. like Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. The Body, which that's Stand By Me. The, the film's yeah. called Stand By Me. Yeah. Because... The, like, there's just enough story in his short stories to flesh out to a, a short film or to a full-length film without having to cut all this essential stuff that works in the book that wouldn't necessarily work in a the movie, therefore making it an uh, inferior adaptation and possibly a bad movie overall. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, I told him when we were talking about our It Chapter 2 on the podcast, one of my biggest problems with that, besides I've told you about my mm-hmm. feelings of how they treated the character of Mike, yeah. is... They hyped up so hard that Patrick Hawksetter's in this movie. People will recognize that name. And I was just like, what? He's one of my favorite Stephen King side characters ever. And then yeah. when he's just another bully that hangs out with Henry Bowers and fucking dies in it, chapter one, I was like, you fucking bitches. Exactly. Getting my hopes up. See, I haven't seen chapter two yet. It chapter two, but yeah. I don't I don't think Henry Bowers was even mentioned in the kids' parts of It Chapter 2. Like, obviously, he shows up for trying to kill Mike and Eddie, because that's an integral scene in the the book for the adults, but I don't think he ever shows up again. No. Which is really weird to me. (sighs) Yeah, those movies, while visually pleasing, left a lot to be desired. I like how they did that, though, in, like, the original It, like, with Henry Bowers, like, when he was in Juniper Juniper Hill. Oh, yeah. You know, and, like... Yeah, that was really cool. It looked a little cheesy. It, it did. It comes across better in the book, because in the book it's literally described as a, like a big six-foot-tall man-dog with a Doberman pincher's head breaks Henry out of the asylum. It's Pennywise, just transformed. Yeah. And they do that in the movie. It just looks weird. It's just funny. Cheap. But in the book, when you're reading it, you're like, that's fucking scary. <laughs> And then you watch it, and you're like, something didn't translate here. <laughs> what happened? We were all extremely drunk. <laughs> 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 that makes sense. 
And before we wrap this up for the evening, you said you wanted to talk about the Institute, yeah? Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit. So the um, Institute is the newest Stephen King book to come out. Yes. Which came out, what, May this year? No, it came out in September. Fuck. I read through that book so fast, yeah. that's why it feels... I think I'm thinking The Outsider. Was that last year's? That was last year's. And, and I haven't read the one either. I haven't even read Elevation. Ele- that's good. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, Elevation. But that's yeah. like a 90-page, one-sit yeah. read. It's so, a good yeah. book. So it follows um, Luke. What's his last name? Oh, fuck. I don't remember. His name is Luke. And um, he is extremely smart, like extremely smart. What is he, like, 12, and he's trying to get into college? He's already been accepted to two different colleges. MIT, like, he's, like, extremely smart. And um, his parents have noticed weird things, like, when he gets upset, like, he can move things. like With With his mind. With his mind. Like, things will go flying across the rooms, the doors will shut, and just a bunch of weird stuff like that. So, can I interject just briefly? Because it seems like a lot of kids especially have that power. Yeah. Does that still relate to, like, The Shining? Is that, like... A rolling theme throughout his books? Well, I, or is that He just... does enjoy writing kids with psychic abilities exactly. because uh, Carrie, obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. Danny Torrance from The Shining, but his was more telepathic as opposed to yeah. like telekinetic. Okay. Like he can read minds and things like that as opposed to like moving objects with well, his mind. Well, at first yeah. it was just, it was TK, remember? And then he got like, well, we'll get into that. But, anyways. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, in this book, it, it especially it deals heavily with kids with psychic abilities. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he has these, like, telekinetic things that happen only when he's upset. Like, he, he's not very strong. He can just move things. Right. Um, so, like I said, he, he was, like, getting ready to move to go to MIT, and these people came in the middle of the night and killed his parents and kidnapped him. And took him to this place called the Institute. Like government assassination style, yeah, silence like pistols. These, these old like FBI agents, old police officers. Retired military yeah, and stuff like, like that. They were contracted to go get Luke and kill his parents and take him to the Institute. So when Luke wakes up, he wakes up in his room. It looks just like his room, but when he goes out, it's like, it kind of reminds me of like a mental, like hospital. Like a hospital, yeah. Yeah. So it kind of reminded me of, like, a hospital. only difference between his room that he wakes up in and his room room is that there's no window in his new bedroom. But it looks Mm. exact. Posters, everything is the same. Like, down to the very detail. Mm. So they, like, they were preparing for him to come. So, um, the first thing I remember is, like, he walks out of his room and he runs into Kalisha. Yes. And she's sitting on the floor and she's, like, eating a... Those candy cigarettes cigarettes. that used to be super popular. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's like, what is going on? And she's just kind of explained to him, like, yeah, this is a place for kids that have, like, psychic abilities and can read minds, telepathic. and Yeah, either TK or TP. TP. And the TPs are the higher valued of the yeah. two. And they run experiments on these kids. They inject them with weird medicines and, and see what happens, see if it increases it, see if it, um, you know, decreases it. Mm-hmm. And, like, all of this, like, all of these um, experiments are going on in these kids, and um, I don't really know where to go from here after that. Um, I mean... I mean, because, like, I could just, like, describe the whole book, but, like, that's going to take a minute. Yeah, so I guess giving the briefest synopsis of it is you find out that one of the ejections that they've been giving the kids is meant to boost their abilities. Exactly. And the, the, the hospital they're in is divided into front half and back half. People who go into back half are never seen again. Yeah. 
And um, they practically use these kids up until they're literally like retarded. Yeah, ex- and uh, the staff have no qualms with beating the ever living shit out of uh, these kids if they disobey or try and resist or mm-hmm. go against their wishes. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, Luke gets. They're getting ready to send him to back half yep. before he escapes. Yeah. He escapes so, and starts... He manages to get on a train and heads south. Yeah. And, um... I'm listening. Sorry. No, it's okay. Sending a text. It was just kind of, um... <clears throat> I thought the the janitor helping him escape was really cool. Yeah. And yeah. that's actually one of the more tragic characters I he's know. written in a while. Because this janitor... Uh, this maid is helping him... Because he finds out just through... Because once they give him a shot and start, like, torturing him, like, they have a water tank that they'll hold them mm-hmm. down until they're about ready to pass out mm-hmm. to try and boost their abilities. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the whole thing... They, their, their powers peak when they're under duress. So he, one, one of those shots actually makes it so not only is he a TK, he's developed telepathy as well. Mm-hmm. And he finds out from reading her mind that she's in... <clears throat> crippling debt because her husband had a gambling problem they wrecked up all their credit cards and shit like that and then just left her left her with the bill and so he they're given tokens for good behavior in the institute they can use it a vending machine which there's one that has candy in it and there's another one that has cigarettes and alcohol alcohol weed and these are kids like the youngest one there is like eight yeah and they really go into that like (laughs) some of the kids are alcoholics because of it because the way they deal with it is They get some booze out of there, drink it, and they just get addicted to it because they're like, "This is the only way I can get through the days here." Well, the way they describe some of these things, like some of the experiments, they're painful. Extremely. Like they get these shots in, like these shots with like these random medicines, and it like burns their skin and like causes hives. Or one that they give Luke in it, uh, just like his throat closes up and he can't breathe for almost two minutes. Yeah. And, um, I mean, some of these kids are dying from these experiments, too. Like, the, the big country kid that got it and, like, when it walked into the cafeteria and then died. Yeah, know? they tested him so bad that he eventually just walks in and cracks his skull falling over and exactly. dies. Damn. Yeah, I mean, like, there's... Or, no, he starts having a seizure and then he accidentally kills a little girl because yeah. he flails and hits her so hard that she goes into the wall it and snaps her neck. Her neck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what it's just fuck? like it's just like this place where they're literally doing experiments on kids, and it's like, a black ops facility where they, it, yes, they, one of them it's escapes. like Guantanamo. They have uh, free reign to fucking torture these kids yes. to get what they want because well, it's unsanctioned, unsanctioned, yeah, <laughs> unsanctioned, <laughs> un- ungoverned, and it's you know a lawless fucking. It's like uh, so it reminds me of uh, you played Mass Effect too, right? Yes. Like it reminds me of Jack. Like yes. yeah, that yes. facility that they were like the biotic facility and yep. shit. Well, God, I miss that. The game. main character escapes, and like you said, he gets on he gets on a boat, and then he gets on a train and goes to, like he rides it to the end of the line, which, which is, is like, in bumfuck South Carolina. Dupree. Yes, Dupree, yeah. <laughs> and, and meets a former cop who's working as what's called a night knocker. Yes. And that just sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a small but town. He's like hella position. overqualified too. Like the, the the cop's story is actually kind of fucked up. Yeah, he, it's uh, he has a really tragic story because he loses his job. Yeah. In Florida, he was with Miami PD because uh, he went out for a couple drinks after work, stayed in uniform, mm-hmm. and then decided to go to the mall to buy new shoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
so of course since he's in uniform somebody's like officer you gotta help us there's a kid brandishing a gun in the mall and so yeah he draws down on the kid doesn't shoot him yeah but came very close but because he was in uniform and it had been drinking, he loses his job over the situation. Well, I thought he lost his job because, like, you know, the kid was being held down, right? And he was like, please get off him, please get off him. And then he shoots up. Yeah, he a did fire off a round in the air, but he didn't shoot the kid. And it shot a light, and that light hurt somebody. Yeah, like the broken glass, like, yeah. cut somebody's face up and yeah. they sued. And it ends up, the gun that the kid had was, like, a, a squirt gun that was spray painted. It was sprayed black. Oh, shit. So he got in a lot of trouble, and, um, yeah. Well, that beats the whole cliched, like, I was tired of being a big city Yeah, cop, no. So I just... moved to a small town. No. Yeah. <laughs> no he has a little bit of intuition, because the book actually starts with this cop. Like, the yes. opening scene, he's getting ready to hop on, a, or he's on a plane getting ready to travel to New York to take a security job. When they overbook the flight, and they're asking people to get off, and nobody, everybody's refusing. So they're like, all right, we'll give you two grand in, like, basically a stipend to go live at the hotel uh, until they get you on a new flight. Mm-hmm. And the price of your ticket. And he's just like, oh, fuck it, I'll take the two grand in the price of the ticket I paid. Mm-hmm. He's a pitchhiking. Yeah, he's yeah. just like, I'll, I'll make my way there on foot. Hmm. Does odd jobs, and he ends up just staying in this small town. Mm-hmm. In, is it in South Carolina or Georgia? No, it's South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. And he just, he likes the gig and just starts working there. Hmm. Yeah, it was like, that was kind of weird because I, like, because after that it went into, like, Luke and I'm like, where's the cop? How does this play in together? And then when he finally... The back half of the book, yeah, he finally exactly. shows back he up. Fi- he shows up to the town that the cop was in and the cop was like, what the hell is wrong with you? Because, like, when Luke, when Luke escaped, they have these, like, GPS tracking devices in their ears. Mm-hmm. And when Luke escaped, he cut his off. So like, like he like, cut the bottom of his ear off like, to get out of it. He traveled for like what, like a week. He didn't have any food. Any uh, water. It wasn't a week. It was a couple, a couple days. days. But and he you find rough. out around this time that the institute where they took him, it's a global like. They're everywhere. Black hand facility. They're like, everywhere. They were started as a coalition of governments after World War II. Yeah, like Hitler kind of played into it. it was yeah, to weird. Uh, yeah. prevent. Uh, anything like World War II ever happening again. And you find out that what they do is they enhance the psychic ability of these kids. And you find out that no kids are very truly strong, Mm -hmm. but the more you get into a group, the stronger they they become. They become like power conduits. Right. And so they use these kids to do assassinations, Mm -hmm. like kill people across the globe with telekinesis Hmm. and shit like that. But they just keep using them until they're essentially drooling husks of themselves yeah. and then they what eventually they die the gorks? yeah the gorks yeah they call them the gorks because they're just babbling drooling idiots at yeah. that point their brains have been completely shattered they're literally that guy that's like ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's bad yeah, it's my favorite it's my favorite one. but because Damn. they're a global facility like that when luke's on the run they they have a network where they're able to be like okay we have reason to believe he got on this train they're like all right what train is it uh, it's this one, and here's the it's stop list. And they're like, all right, we need units at every pl- place this train stops so yeah. we can inspect it and see if he's there. They called mm-hmm. them like aunts and uncles. Like, yeah, they had aunts and uncles everywhere looking for Luke. Like all up and down the eastern seaboard, yeah. just like just like drop of a hat. Damn. Just, yeah, it was it was honestly a very emotional book. Like like being a mother and like listening about these kids being like abused and stuff. I was like, oh god. So. Hmm. 
well. And uh, the only reason the yeah. because the book is like this thing. <laughs> the only ah. reason the small town cop gets involved is because uh, he works is doing the night knocker thing, but during the day he works unloading trains, mm-hmm. and the place where he works happens to be the last stop for this train. And Luke freaks out and decides, I'm going to jump off the fucking train before it's it gets to the post. station. And yeah, jumps <laughs> off, like lands, and is running to keep his balance right into a steel post. <laughs> it was kind Gets of funny. his bell fucking wrong. <laughs> and dude, the cop happens to be he working just, that day. He just saw and, it was yeah. like, what the fuck? And yeah, dude just so happens to start believing him, especially since uh, the uh, maid that helps him uh, gave him like a flash drive with her confession and video she'd taken to expose the institute so practically yep. like when Luke escapes like he's escaping to expose the institute and practically get the rest of the kids out yeah so I think this would be a great movie I, I think it would make a good series you think so? yeah because you could do the first season as the institute story yeah and then you can expand on it because at the end of the book you find out that these facilities are all over the damn oh, yeah. world that's a good yeah, that's yeah. I yeah. like that. How you think you've stopped stopped the whole fucking shindig, and then it's just boom everywhere. Well, and it's just like the guy that runs the institute was like, because Luke exposed it, right? Yeah. And the guy who ran the institute was like, "You have no idea what you just did. Like, the world is going to end now because of this." Hmm. Yeah, he actually confronts them in the last chapter of the book at the small farm they're living in at mm-hmm. the end of it, and he's like, "Do you know how many assassin or like how many?" world wars we've prevented yeah. through this program and you guys have destroyed it for everybody. Yeah. You fucked it up. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a lot to take in. That one is a lot to take in. That one's a lot of moving parts, big cast. Yeah. Well, even non-movie wise, so what you're saying is that King can still write a book even after all these goddamn years. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. That one was honestly one of the better ones I've read in a long time. It was that well was put together. It too. was oh my god when Avery died, I bawled. Spoilers. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm never gonna read a book ever again in my life. I don't think. <laughs> so you're good. That's why you keep people like us around. Yeah. We can relate right. all these stories yeah. to you. I go on novel adventures. <laughs> yes. But yeah, uh, so that's our Stephen King podcast. I yeah. think for the day, I talked about everything I wanted to talk about. I'm gonna end. I mean, they all sounded fantastic. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. And I, I've been enlightened. But I just want to see a goddamn space turtle in a movie. That's all I want. A space turtle? That's all yeah, I Yeah, Maturin, want. the turtle that holds the earth on its back. Ever since he told me that, I'm like, oh, fuck it. I want to see a space turtle. <laughs> anyway. Let's make it happen. Uh, I mean, my dream is into 27 and a half years redo it again. Yeah. And do the definitive edition. It'll be... A, a two-season series, parallel story structure, just like the book, mm-hmm. and it'll have everything. It'll have, like, the no history of dairy. No Blackjack and hookers. Mature <laughs> <laughs> in the space turtle. Blackjack, hookers. Uh, a child gangbang scene, not really. Um, that, that part will never It'll make it into... midget stunt doubles. Oh, I'm sorry, little people stunt doubles. <laughs> That'll never make it into any filmed version of it. I just know it. Can we do, like, the gay scene with, like, Henry Bowers and Patrick? Yes. Yes, we can. Yeah, that was... Like, yeah, I was just watching a, in the junkyard, like... It's such a weird scene, because it goes from they're lighting each other's farts on fire to just <laughs> casual hand job. What? His dick was out. <laughs> what, am I not going to jerk it off? <laughs> this thing ain't going to jerk itself. 
<laughs> Interesting. Well, I hope you get that gig in 27 years, man. I'm going to need you as uh, director of photography for the turtle scenes. <laughs> Fuck that. I'm going to do the mocap for that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so out of all the books we presented, which one was your fave? Yeah, which one would you be most excited to see? Honestly, well, it's probably because you guys talked about it the most, but the Institute does sound pretty fucking good. I'm not going to lie. I really hope they turn that into something, and they do it right, and I'm not pissed off, because I will destroy something. Yeah, and I hope <laughs> they, if they do adapt it, they don't water down what the exactly. kids go through in the exactly. Institute, because that's part of what makes it so uh, emotional. Is yeah. like You can picture it in your head, and you're just like, who would put a fucking child through that? Yeah. What kind of monster do you have to be? The way that they described movie night, too. Oh, yeah. The back Ooh. half, yeah. That was crazy. Yeah, but I'll, I mean, they're all interesting yeah. to say the least. And like I was saying, they're not cut and dry. Like, oh, it's a ghost or a monster or whatever oh, yeah. the fuck. Like they got possessed because they use a Ouija board. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying the books are cut and dry like yeah. that, but the movies that are adapted from them are. Right. They just take the basic elements and it follows the stupid basic movie plots. I, I get it, but no, a lot of those. Yeah, I could see a lot of those being good movies if in the right hands I'm surprised like I'm or surprised Jim McKee isn't one like to be honest I'm surprised he didn't do that give it time give it time we're yeah. in a Stephen king Yes. yes yeah there's three goddamn movies this year yep there was Pet Cemetery, It 2 and then we don't Dr. talk about Sleep. It 2 or Pet Cemetery. I didn't see any of those I, Listen, I'm too scared to see the remake of Pet Cemetery. it's A was spoiled in the trailers uh-huh. the best part and B it's really okay right up until the end yeah. It's like... <laughs> well, and if they... It, like, obviously, you've seen the trailers, right? So you know yeah. it's the little girl instead of Gage that dies. Mm-hmm. If they just left that out of the trailers, like, let that be a twist, I would have been fine exactly. with it. But exactly. now that I know that it's coming a month before the movie comes out, I'm like, I don't want to... I'm going to bitch about this the whole time. <laughs> but I'll always go for John Lithgow, which is... He was I'm good, but uh, Fred Gwynn was still better, because no, he actually yeah. did the Mainer accent, and I don't want to go down on that rod. You don't want to go down that rod. Bad things happen down that rod. Oh, wait, South Park down that rod. Any hoozle. But that is a good state... Uh, that's a good uh, king of songs. I like that, yeah. Yeah. It's fun time to be alive and be a King fan. Especially with Amazon's Dark Tower coming out here within the next year or so, I think. Yeah, I need to get on reading those books. Yeah, you yeah. do. Uh, yeah. Hurry up. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna, so we'll probably just have to do a podcast next yeah, year. Or just, you can listen to <laughs> audiobooks. I don't do that either. Don't chastise me. I Look, will. We I'm all trying to enrich your life. <laughs> I don't like reading. It hurts. It hurts. <laughs> it doesn't. I don't know. I just, Who hurt you with a book as a child? I, he was just beating Was it one. your priest? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Reverend O'Malley. Reverend Stonecock. <laughs> you brought back a lot of memories last night. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Excellent. All right. Well, we're, we're already at an hour and like five <laughs> minutes. So, yeah. We're going to call it. Uh, if you managed to make it through this whole podcast, like, subscribe, all that fucking bullshit. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks for joining us, Nicole. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah, Tyler, it's a pleasure we'll to see you again next week. Sure. And uh, you stay classy, San Diego. Fuck your mother. <laughs> Bye.